stick to football week. Keep that breakdown rolling. It's football week, and that means it's AFC West time because the Chiefs play Thursday night. And then Friday morning, you'll get that NFC West preview. Matt, Mello, Connor, your favorite trio of hosts. And guys, uh, it feels good to be sitting here on a Tuesday morning. Show's coming out a little bit late because of Labor Day. But on a Tuesday morning where we actually watched college football this weekend, I don't know if you all stayed up to watch Navy get just absolutely smacked in the yeah. mouth by BYU. I thought that game was going to be a little bit closer than it was. Same. Uh, but BYU looked good. Yeah, they did. And we all picked Navy in that game. So I was just sitting here just like, <laughs> well, uh, Hashtag I'll America. say this. Uh, yeah, the first week of picks is such a punch in the mouth because... One, it's like, wait, this is a lot harder than I remember. Yep. And two, these games are so random. Like, it's easy for us to sit here and talk about Oklahoma, Clemson, Alabama, but, and credit, kudos to Matt. Matt picked South Alabama. Southern Miss is already firing their coach. But, like, you got, <laughs> you got Southern Miss, South Alabama. You got Middle Tennessee against Army. Go Army. All three of us picked Army. Nice win for them. And they smashed Middle Tennessee. But it's just it's just mayhem in this week of random games, but also a lot of fun. It is, too. And I, we're going to get to the news of the day. But it's funny because, like, Con and I were like, you know, like, Navy's going to be disciplined, service academy. <laughs> so I don't know if you guys caught this. Right before the game, it came out that, like, they hadn't had a live practice shit like they hadn't nope. been able to tackle or anything and it's like why the fuck didn't you tell us this before the game and it's like oh my god and it uh they did look sloppy but uh good good win for the cougars uh congrats to byu okay news of the day guys deshaun watson gets a monster deal 24 year old deshaun watson by the way He's only 24 years old. He's signing a four-year extension worth $160 million with, I believe, $117 million of that guaranteed. Now, this is an extension, which means it kicks in actually in two years. But our good friend, Agent David Mulageta, who's had a fantastic offseason, gets another one, his quarterback, Deshaun Watson. The extension on this means that Watson's going to be like 29 or 30 when he's looking at a new deal, and that's assuming he plays out the four-year extension. I think six years from now, we might see Watson redoing that deal early even. So great move by Watson to play so well as a, uh, you know, and it, now to get out of that rookie deal two years early, but also hell of a move by Mulligetta to get his guy $160 million on the short deal that they wanted. And guys, not only is this great for Deshaun Watson, but I want to take this another area. What are the Dallas Cowboys thinking? Look at how much quarterbacks make now. Two years ago, they could have signed Dak Prescott. But like at the start of the 2019 season, they could have signed Dak Prescott maybe in like the low 30s. 32, now, 33. Yeah, now Mahomes is making 45. Like there's no way. And Watson's getting 40. The Cowboys have completely misplayed their hand on this. Yeah, and obviously I don't think that Dak Prescott is in that tier of quarterback that Watson and Mahomes are in. But I do think that it's going to drive up costs, that he might be able to get close to it, 37, 38 mil. I mean, you cost yourself $5 million by not getting this deal done. Uh, but good for Deshaun Watson. Uh, I love this for him. He, I think he got the deal that he wanted. He got the four-year deal, uh, and obviously the money is great. I'm surprised that it wasn't closer to Mahomes. This is a guy who I think is a top three quarterback in the NFL right now, and a name that you mentioned, Matt, David Mulligetta. I Pat Mahomes is having a great offseason. David Mulligetta is having the second best offseason. <laughs> this dude is getting everyone signed. I wouldn't be surprised if we see Jalen Ramsey getting a deal done soon, too. This guy is just like a super agent now. And he gets deals done in a manner where there just doesn't seem to be a ton of trauma, right? You know, we've seen a lot of guys go through traumatic 
uh, rumors or contract negotiations, and it seems like his have just gotten done. It's it's great for Deshaun Watson, somebody that is not only, in my opinion, already one of the faces of the league, but constantly gives back. Just a great person. I hope they can really build that franchise around him going forward. And it's you know it's the tale of. Uh, Two different QB1s for me this weekend. One gets a mega extension and looks like he will be probably a top three, top four quarterback in the NFL for a long time to come, while the other in Josh Rosen is already on his third team. So that's how crazy the draft is, uh, how wild and how quickly teams, you know, either know it or or move on when it comes to their franchise quarterbacks. So the Texans, they struck gold, and, and for Rosen, he looks to rebuild his career. So it's it's definitely a crazy weekend, but for I'm so happy to see this for Deshaun and, and think this is just the beginning of what will be a, a lot of big earnings for him throughout his NFL career. It's also cool, Deshaun, and I saw a press conference where they were asking him, like, he lived in one of the homes that Warwick Dunn provided to yes. single mothers. And so and to be here now, one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL getting a 160 million dollar contract, like the full circle of that. Like those are the stories that are just amazing to me of like you lived in and worked on should be a Hall of Famer in my opinion for what he's done off the field. But to go from that, you know, to, hey, you were living in one of those houses work Dunn's foundation provided. Now you're one of the richest quarterbacks in NFL history. So an awesome story. Uh, let's jump ahead, though, and go to Josh Rosen, guys, because like Connor said, third team in three years, like his 10th offensive coordinator since his junior year of college. But it's ridiculous. I, I do think like with Rosen, it's weird because you get two reactions when you talk to people around the league. You get the, well, he's never had stability. He's never had a chance to grow and learn. And then you get the other half that are like, well, if he was talented enough, like people would stick by him. And I've never been in the quarterback room with Josh Rosen. I don't know which of these is true. All we can do is tell you guys what we hear. And sometimes there's a a prevailing line of thought. You know, it's just, okay, we'll kind of go that way. With Josh Rosen, it truly is. The situation's never been good. But you do hear like... It's just not there, you know. The, and I saw Daniel Jeremiah tweet over the weekend, and, and it got heavily retweeted. Was that you know, like it's just not there physically. And he was basically saying, "I missed on this guy. No amount of you know changing teams is is going to cover that up." And with Rosen, I think it's interesting. He picks Tampa Bay to go to their practice squad, and there were reports that he had other offers to go somewhere and be on the active roster. So practice squad, he'll make something like twelve thousand dollars a week, which isn't bad money, uh, and will not be. With the team, I think a lot of people are doing these virtual practice squads right now. Um, but he gets a no. Excuse me, Rosen will be there. Uh, it's Josh McCown who won't be. But Rosen gets a chance to work with Bruce Arians, and I, I got excited about this guy. I know you both did too. Like this is the best fit for him. This is it. No pressure to play. Working with Bruce Arians, working with Byron Leftwich. It's still an in the pocket, down the field offense. That's where Rosen needs to be. Yeah, I think this is an ideal fit for him and good for him to make that decision and maybe to even eat a little bit more humble pie on saying, I'm going to go ahead and join the practice squad, but this is the best move for me going forward. I do think that there are still a lot of people who are in the Josh Rosen can make it in the NFL boat. Uh, I'm not one of them. I think that the ship has probably sailed on him. And good for him. I think in three years, maybe we're talking about a different story, but there's something to being on your third team that just doesn't add up in the NFL. If you do have a lot of potential and a lot of promise, teams are going to give you that opportunity. The Cardinals used to top 10 pick on him and then said, ooh, we need to go in a different direction. The Miami Dolphins traded, I believe, what was the second round pick for him and then yep. said, ooh, 
need to move on and go in a different direction. Now Tampa Bay is saying, hey, come join the practice squad. Uh, I think all those things start to add up, and, and you see that maybe Josh Rosen isn't the quarterback that we all thought he was. He was QB2 for me. So I know Connor said QB1. He was QB2 for me. That's a big miss. Now, if you're QB2 for anybody, uh, you should be starting in the NFL in your third season unless you're sitting behind a guy like an Aaron Rodgers or a situation like that. But that's a big miss for all of us, I think. Uh, and none of us really know, I think, what's going on with Josh Rosen. Uh, his play on the field wasn't great, and maybe there was some more stuff in the quarterback room. Uh, I'm not sure, but it's definitely a learning opportunity for, I think, all of us because uh, I don't think that anybody really was low on Josh Rosen and low enough to be like, oh, I nailed it, called it, knew this guy was going to be a bust. Yeah, I am QB3, so I'm, I'm right there with you guys. And like tied with Josh Allen. It wasn't like, oh, you know, way back here, QB3. And by the way, I had Baker Mayfield fourth. So no one can be like, oh, look how smart I am, you know, with that. With Rosen, I do think there is a learning opportunity, but it's hard because we don't know the answer necessarily to why he has not worked out. You know, is it, as Daniel Jeremiah said, is it like the lack of lower body juice, is it the, you know, the myriad of awesome offensive coordinators he's had? Or is it some of the, you know, coachability, you know, ruffles feathers, things that we heard coming out of UCLA where I just I don't know what the definitive answer is. And maybe that's our job to go find out what that definitive answer is, actually. I think it could be a combination of everything, right? Like like you said, to lead this conversation off, Matt, there's the side that says, well, he's been put in awful situations. And then there's a side that says, listen, maybe he just wasn't any good. You can kind of sit somewhere in the middle and go, well, he probably started out in the worst situation in the NFC at the time and got traded to the worst situation in the AFC. But you can also say he just wasn't good enough to elevate those situations where they stuck by him. So, you know, a lot of young quarterbacks, they use their athleticism, they use that lower body to extend time. And if you don't have that, you need to make a you need to be a phenomenal decision maker a very quick processor you know with rosen a lot of his body mechanics at this point is like how current matt ryan is but matt ryan is such a high iq quick read uh smart quarterback that he's not a guy that really needs to move a lot anymore and rosen just is not even close to that level so it's been you know, this is the best situation for him. And I'm kind of with Mello where I've I've definitely lost a lot of faith. It's hard to sit here and go, hey, he'll turn it around. If you're looking for some optimism, I mean, this is a guy that's still a lot younger than Joe Burrow, which is just mind-blowing. But Joe Burrow is coming into the league and ready to play. Uh, Rosen clearly was not. So that's all that matters at the end of the day. And, you know, hopefully he can turn it around in Tampa where – Ultimately, he's going to be out of the spotlight for quite some time now. Yeah, and I think we can move past the – I get it a lot. I don't know if you guys do too of like, why don't the Patriots sign Josh Rosen? Yes, or why don't, every team. Yeah, every team had a chance and they didn't. So I, I think we can move on past that and kind of not put this story to bed because I don't think this story has even come close to being told yet. But we're moving on from Josh Rosen for now. As Bill Belichick would say, we're on to someone else. Cam Hayward gets four years, $71.4 million extension. Congrats to him. Uh, the Steelers' defense is just going to be good, guys. That's really the only nugget I have here. Also, I was a gigantic fan of his father uh, as an NFL running back, so have to throw that nugget out there a little bit. But the Steelers' defense with Hayward, TJ Watt, Devin Bush, Mika Fitzpatrick, Joe Hayden, Steven Nelson, this is a defense that if anyone can stop the, the Baltimore Ravens, 
it might be them. And I don't know if anyone had. We're going to talk about our five games we're hyped for this weekend. I don't know if anyone got the Steelers on their list because I haven't looked ahead that far, but I am excited to see how good this defense looks. I'm excited to see the Steelers. Maybe not the game uh, that they're playing this weekend. Giants don't really do it for me. They don't, Uh, but the Steelers do. And I do think that this could be a sleeper team in the AFC to make the Super Bowl. Uh, I really think that with Ben Roethlisberger back and obviously getting Cam Hayward signed to a good extension, this team is is very good. Probably going to be the winner of the NFC North. I, I Well, <laughs> second place. The Ravens are going to win that division, I think. But I do think that the, the Steelers can come in, make a lot of noise in the AFC, and they're going to be back to that old team that we thought we had when they had Duck Hodges playing. Like, this is going to be a team that's going to give the Chiefs, the Ravens, the Browns, all these teams trouble. Cam Hayward in the middle of that defense, I think, sets it up. And then you have Minka Fitzpatrick in the backfield. I, this is going to be a really good team. Without a doubt. I think when you look at it, I mean, this. a lot of people will predict this to be maybe the best defense in the NFL. And it's good for the Steelers that, you know, they consistently, and you can't say this about every team across the league, the Steelers do a really good job uh, taking care of their talented veteran players to keep them around, to keep that core around. And, and I am excited for Monday Night Football. I actually think that line's probably going to move a lot. I, I punched it in at minus three and a half. Uh, listen, I, I know there's some optimism around the Giants and Joe Judge, and I totally understand that. It's a transition year, though, and for the Steelers... It's anything but a transition year right now. I think that defense is going to be firing on all cylinders. I am very curious to see what Big Ben we get this year, and that might be why the opening lines for Pittsburgh is a little low right now. Yeah, and with the Giants, uh, we could see what Evan Ingram and Saquon Barkley, and this is a good test for Daniel Jones. That uh, week one Monday night early game uh, is going to be worth watching. We talked a little about draft misses with Josh Rosen, guys, but here's one for someone who really doesn't miss very often, and that is Brett Veach, general manager of the Kansas City Chiefs. They released a former second-round pick in Breland Speaks this weekend. Speaks who, uh, rookie year coming out of Ole Miss, was like, oh my gosh, is he an end? Is he a tackle? And then they switched to a 4-3, and it was like, perfect. He has a role now in this defense, but he came to camp very out of shape last year, got hurt, shows up at camp this year, Mello's favorite thing, hashtag best shape of his life, and is now cut. And he was in that same 2018 draft class, guys, with Josh Rosen and so many other players. A A rare moment where I can take a victory lap. I had speaks at 158 overall. And he was the second round pick by the Chiefs. Didn't understand it when they did it, but it was one of those things of like, you know what? You got to kind of trust Andy Reid. Maybe not, though. Breland Speaks just didn't get it done. The potential never translated to being actual productivity. Yeah, and I think this goes to show how hard it is to be a GM in the NFL or how hard it is to scout players because even the guy who, Brett Veach, who is at the top or near the top of that list of GMs in the NFL, his first official draft pick was Breland Speaks. And just a couple years later, he's cut. He's off the team. He was fighting for a position. This is a big miss for the Kansas City Chiefs. I know everybody wants to talk about everything they're doing right now and how they're having a great offseason. But this just does go to show that it's very hard to find players. And even if you're at the top of your position, you're going to miss on guys. You're going to find that Pat Mahomes every once in a while that you hit on. And it looks really great. And you're the smartest guy in the world. But everybody's also going to have their Breland Speaks moment where it's like, ooh, this guy's going to be a second rounder. Psych, he's off the team in a couple of years. It was uh, Veach's first draft pick, actually. Yeah. So, And this pick was like kind of out of nowhere. Like you said, Matt, you didn't have him 
uh, ranked highly at all. I ranked 100 players that year. He was not in my top 100. Well, I remember when this name was called off the board, everyone was like, excuse me? So, you know, obviously they've probably learned a lot uh, since then, you know, about reaching on a guy like this. But it just, it was uh, frowned upon by the draft community, the media community, and, and just didn't work out. And, you know, that's, you take your swings. And it happens, but it was obviously just one that was a big miss. Uh, here's another swing for you guys. The transitions are easy today. Thank you. Uh, Lindbaum Jr., friend of the show, traded over the weekend to the Miami Dolphins. So the Las Vegas Raiders draft this dude in the third round. And they say, we're going to move you to running back. Okay. Then they trade him to the Dolphins. So they draft him in the third. They trade him for like a fourth and a sixth. I think Bowden and a fifth to the Dolphins for fourth and a sixth. So you're getting no return at all in your investment. And the Dolphins immediately say, yeah, he's going to play wide receiver for us, which is what we saw him do at Kentucky when he wasn't playing quarterback. But here's what I thought was interesting, that Mike Mayock basically says, hey, the football character was not where we wanted it to be on a guy who's learning a new position. So we traded him. And you get Raider fans who are like, hey, better to admit your miss and move on, which I do agree with. Like we said with Josh Rosen, Steve Kime was like, you know what? We missed. We're going to move on. But with Lindbound Jr., he never played a game. This was like, a no, project. no preseason. Yeah. No pro- yeah, a complete project. And they're like, you know what? Nah. You should know about a guy's football character when you draft him, uh, number one. So I know like Raider fans want to say, hey, at least they admitted their mistake and they got something for him. That may very well be the case, but my God, I've never seen a team. Uh, Kavari Russell, only time I've seen a team give up on someone faster than this. It's just Kai shocking. <laughs> yeah. yeah, okay, two times. But yeah. it's shocking to see a team say, hey, we're going to take this guy who's been playing quarterback because his quarterback got hurt in college, usually plays receiver. We're going to move him to running back. So right there, you could pump the brakes and say, that's questionable at best. Like, why the hell are you moving him to running back? He's not a big, bulky receiver anyway. I know that he had a lot of success running the football in the SEC. So cool, but he's a receiver. So you messed up there. But then to give up on him on a short offseason where he can't get in the facility facilities and work at running back then to just trade him. Like, did you expect him to come in this year and... and contribute at the running back position behind Josh Jacobs anyway. I just, I really don't understand this, but very happy for Lynn Bowden because he's a guy that was really good on this show. Uh, hung out with him and talked to him a little bit here. I'm happy for him to be in Miami. I think that he does have a lot of upside and a lot of promise as a receiver where he should have been drafted at all along. Me too. Uh, number one, when you look at this scenario, because this, I tweeted about it, I was like, I think Bowden is going to, be successful in Miami because they want to play him at wide receiver. I think he'll be an effective slot wide receiver. I think Miami, after two opt-outs there, they need some help. Sure, Devontae Parker and Preston Williams are, are really good outside threats, but Bowden is somebody that can play, and he could get on the field as early as this year. Now, and also, Brian Flores and Chris Greer are guys that care about character. Like, are we saying they didn't do their research on the trade, if that's the excuse we want to use from the Raiders? So... I understand it, Raider fans. Like, you were excited about this guy. It's frustrating. But as soon as I tweeted that, everybody was like, well, there's a story. Like, you need to read it. And, like, go to The Athletic. I have an athletic subscription. I read I read the story. It's the team story. And maybe they're right. But I'm not sitting here telling you that I believe the team right now. You cut a guy because who played wide receiver in college and dominated at wide receiver in the SEC of all conferences, moved to quarterback to save his team season, and then you moved him to running back. And after one month, you said that you were done 
with him, and you go, oh, well, he can't pass protect. No shit. He's been doing it for <laughs> one month. He's a slot month. receiver. <laughs> He's a slot receiver, and you're asking him to pass protect. Like, I'm not just going to sit here and kill the Raiders. I compliment them because I love Mike Mayock's drafts. But I just there's not an explanation here. That is making sense. And then you say, okay, well, he's, he cares more about buying cars and he likes going out and it's rubbing off on the young receivers. I mean, all right, we'll see about that. I just, this to me is just a bad process. That's as simple as it is to me. It seems like they had an idea for Lynn Bowden. It, it didn't work out for them and they decided to move on and that's it. And I hope he, and I'm a Jets guy, and I hope he does very well for the Miami Dolphins. Yep, same. Uh, I think we're all rooting for him, and that is a great fit for him where, uh, like, I like his toughness. I know we said that when he was on the show. Like, the fact that before the Belk Bowl, like, you're getting in a fight with the other team. I kind of like that from a player, uh, of course, as long as you can rein it in a little bit. But I think Chris Greer and Brian Flores will have a lot of fun with him. Uh, not even, not even worried about that at all. Okay, two last- chance Gailey. He's back. <laughs> exactly. Uh, last thing before we uh, break down our top five games and get to our divisional preview, uh, Mellow's man crush and-, and Connors as well. You guys are both very, very high on him. Penny Sewell officially opts out. And people were like, why is this a big deal? Well, it's kind of a formality, but to me, I I do get excited, just like I do in January when guys are like, I'm declaring for the draft. I get excited for the player who gets to say that. Like, you get to realize a lifelong dream of being like, I'm declaring for the NFL draft. I imagine that, like, that's one of the coolest things short of hearing your name called at the draft of, I get to say that I'm doing that. So I'm excited for Sewell because of that. I'm also excited because it means he's officially in this class. I can move him from probably, most likely, 99% in to all the way in, which makes the evaluation much easier when you don't have to say, well, is there going to be more film? Like, what is that? Nope, we can break him down, and that is in ink what he is. Yeah, it like starts to get together like official scouting reports and watching games and not just putting notes together. Like you can actually, if you want to, go scout him. All his tape is out there. Happy to have him in this class. I think he's the best tackle I've ever seen. Without a doubt. I mean, yeah, that, <laughs> that perfectly sums it up. Pin. When you look at Sewell play, um, it's a shame in a sense because in my eyes, he could have gone down as one of the best college offensive tackles of all time that's how good he was as an underclassman where hey if he played this year and maybe he's a guy that wanted to stick around and and to go back also you know these things do matter Matt because maybe some of these guys want to hang around for their senior year right like not everybody is gonna want to leave yes but for Sewell uh number one player on my board think he'll be a top five pick when all is said and done even after people you know rip through whatever holes they think he has, or maybe there is a length issue, whatever they think there is. I think he'll be a top five pick. I think he'll be a franchise tackle. I think he'll test very well. I think he'll interview very well. And, uh, you know, congratulations to him for, for a sh- very brief, but, uh, phenomenal college football career at that tackle position. I was telling Mello, he reminds me of Jason Peters, like body type athleticism. He just moved so well to be that big that if you're going to comp him to anybody, it has to be a guy that can get out and move in the run game, too. I, I know that we usually think left tackle, he's got to anchor and be able to mirror these speedy defensive ends. He gets out and moves in the run game. Like, the Colts are going to fall in love with him with the way he just mauls people. I don't think they'll be in a position to draft him, but I think that they're going to look at him and be like, damn, wish we could get this guy. Because he's like the Quentin Nelson just plays on the outside. There you go. All right, let's take a break. We come back five games we are hyped for this weekend. 
If you haven't heard, football is officially back, and no, not just Army beating up on Middle Tennessee State. We get real football this weekend. The Power Five conferences are back, and the NFL is back. And gentlemen, for the first time, at least that I can remember, NFL and college football are really starting on the same weekend. We don't normally get that. Uh, also, pour on out, we would have been in Baton Rouge this coming weekend. That's depressing when you think about it. But we are not. We will be at home watching these games instead. So we have our top five top five Tuesdays now games were hyped for this weekend I'm just going to rip through mine and and throw a little nugget in there and you guys can do the same five for me Syracuse at North Carolina I want to see pickoff machine Andre Cisco against Sam Howell one of the best underclassmen quarterbacks in the country for North Carolina I think this game has a chance to be very very exciting just the duo the matchup of those guys and also those North Carolina receivers Daz Newsom and Dimey Brown are very very good so we're going to be watching this one with a scouting eye for sure that's the only college game on my list though fellas after that Browns at Ravens, this rejuvenated Browns roster. Once again, you got Jack Conklin and Austin Hooper, and they've made so many moves to better this roster, including hiring head coach Kevin Stefanski. I want to see what they can do against the Ravens. I think last year, opening day, Lamar Jackson threw like five or six touchdowns. I want to see what his debut looks like this year against a division rival in the Cleveland Browns. Number three, Cowboys at Rams. Mostly I want to see what SoFi Stadium looks like, but I'm also excited for these Cowboys wide receivers. I think I have one on every one of my 30 fantasy teams right now, so I need big points, but also excited to see what CeeDee Lamb uh, and also Blake Jarwin, their young tight end, see how these guys develop, what we get from that offense. Another team with a new head coach in Mike McCarthy. Number two, Chiefs versus the Texans. This is the Thursday night opener. The Chiefs are going to raise the Super Bowl banner, yada, yada, yada. Here's what's interesting to me, though. The Texans beat them in the regular season and had a 24-point lead on them in the playoffs. The Chiefs should not and cannot sleep on the Texans. This roster, you can look at it and be like, how are they as good as they are? I have no idea because of Deshaun Watson mostly, but how do they look without DeAndre Hopkins? And can they, a team that seemed to have the Chiefs number last year, can they get a surprise victory on Thursday night? And then number one, guys, Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at the New Orleans Saints. I think we're going to learn a lot about the NFC South in that one game. I know it's opening day and you usually don't want to take away a lot from it, but how Brady looks in this offense, how he uses all those amazing passing weapons. And, oh, don't forget that Tampa defense is pretty damn good, too. Yeah, I, I'm really excited about that game, but I'll start with my number five. Uh, I went with some different college football ones than you guys did. Missouri State at Oklahoma. I'm probably not going to pay the $60 to watch it on pay-per-view, but thank God for the good people over at Reddit that will offer it for free. I do want to see what Spencer Rattler looks like in this offense. We've been talking about him for a while. What's it going to look like when Lincoln Riley gets a guy in there that's recruited, that can hang out, that can learn the offense a little bit? We're going to get to see him torch Missouri State. And I say that as a guy who spent some time there, but this is going to be a bloodbath, but I want to see what the offense looks like. I want to see what Spencer Rattler looks like running it. Uh, I think there was even a little bit of a quarterback competition, so much so that they had to name Spencer Rattler the starter. It wasn't just assumed. But I do want to see that game. I want to see what the Oklahoma offense looks like. Obviously lost some really talented players off of it, but they retool like they always do. Next game for me, Western Kentucky at Louisville. This Louisville offense is absolutely loaded. Two receivers, a running back, and a quarterback. 
that I think we all need to keep our eye on for the NFL draft. Tutu Atwell is a guy that I think leads that. You want to see some real speed. Tutu Atwell has it. Cunningham at quarterback. I think another year with Scott Satterfield. This team could be rolling. Uh, and again, I want to watch that offense. I want to see what it looks like. Moving on to the NFL. Third game that I want to see this week. I'm going Cardinals 49ers. I want to see what that Super Bowl hangover looks like for Matt's 49ers. I want to see what Kyler Murray looks like with the Cardinals again. I think that we could see a shift, at least in this division, maybe not to where the Cardinals are better than the 49ers, but to where they're really competing. I think this is going to be a close, hard-fought game for both sides, and I want to see how much the Cardinals air it out. I think we could be looking at like 40, 45 throws for Kyler Murray this Sunday. Uh, next game for me, I'm going with the Cleveland Steamers, Nay Browns at Ravens. I do want to see what happens here with the AFC North. Are the Ravens going to be able to live up to the hype? Is Baker Mayfield going to be able to get it done against this great Baltimore defense? That's a very exciting game. But the game I am most excited for is Bucks at Saints. I do want to see what happens here. One of these teams has to walk away with a loss or at least a tie. And we're not going to see very many losses for the Bucks or the Saints this year. So huge implications for the playoffs already right here in week one. Number five for me, Duke at Notre Dame. I think when you look at this one, obviously Chris Rumpf against that Irish offensive line is one of the things I'm really looking forward to seeing here uh, in terms of early prospect matchups. So we'll see, you know, did Rump put on more weight? Is he going to be an every down kind of player? Uh, once again, we know how good Brian Kelly's offensive line usually is and how many NFL prospects they pump out year after year. And even a guy like Ian Book, uh, who obviously is trying to get himself drafted after this year, will be looking to boost his stock. Number four, Clemson at Wake Forest. There's really no secret sauce behind this one. I just want to watch Clemson play football again. I want to see Trevor Lawrence come out and just dominate this game. I want to see Travis Etienne break off a couple big runs. So when you look at this one, I'm just happy that we get to watch ACC football this year, and that is always headlined by those Clemson Tigers. Number three, and I tried to pick some different games for you guys here, so if I left off an obvious one, uh, don't don't badmouth me with an iTunes review. I'm just asking nicely. <laughs> Number three, though, Cardinals at 49ers. Listen, there's a lot to prove in this game right here. Are the Niners going to keep that momentum rolling from a really, really good year last year that ended in definitely a heartbreaking Super Bowl loss? But for the most part of last season, the 49ers were a dominant football team. Arizona is a is a hot pick to be on the rise, and I definitely think they're going to be much more competitive this year. Now, they are the road team. They are going to be going through a little transition period. Obviously, DeAndre Hopkins is a phenomenal player, but there might be an, might be an acclimation period here, and they have some young faces on their line, on their defense. So looking forward to see uh, where both of these teams are. Number two. The Packers at Vikings. This is really for the division here, and you love when that happens in week one. One of these teams is going to get an early jump, and this game is vital this early in the season. Packers going on the road. Man, if you can steal one in Minnesota if you're Green Bay, which I believe they can, that is really, really big in this division. I think we're going to see a different Aaron Rodgers this year, guys. I really do. I think Devontae Adams uh, can quietly lead the league in receiving yards. I think Aaron Rodgers is poised for a really, really big season. But that Vikings pass rush is going to be firing on all cylinders. Number one here, went in a different direction than you guys, Cowboys at Rams. The stakes are high in this one right away, right? The Cowboys fans 
are probably restless at the head coaching spot. If Mike McCarthy comes out and lays an egg, people are going to be pissed. If Mike McCarthy comes out and the Cowboys offense, which I think it can, hangs 40 points on the Rams, Cowboys Nation is going to be super, super hyped. So, And I think when you look at the Rams, Sean McVay needs a bounce back year right now. Jared Goff needs a bounce back year right now. That offensive line needs to be better. So when I look at this game, whatever team loses, there's going to be hell to pay on that side. So I'm very, very excited for Cowboys at Rams uh, week one here of, of what I think is a really impressive slate of NFL football in week one. So guys, I want to be honest. I wanted to pick Cardinals at Niners, but I knew people would be like, oh, he only talks about the Niners. Same for me in the Chiefs. Like, I wanted to pick that game so bad. It's like Kyler Murray against that defense. Like, I'm excited for it. But like, I- I'm like so in my head now reading the comments, which you're never supposed to do, of people being like, wish he'd talk about someone other than the Niners. I know, we're shook. Yeah, we you are. think I'm not fucking excited about Thursday <laughs> night and seeing the Chiefs play again? Yeah, I'm a little fucking pumped. Yeah, right? Okay. Well, you guys get excited. Let us know your top five games. We come back, we're going to break down that division, the AFC West. It's time to break down the AFC West. This is the division that obviously gave us a Super Bowl champion last year. It's also a division that got a lot better over the course of the offseason with free agency and the draft. Let's start with those pesky Kansas City Chiefs, number one seed in the AFC West last year. And really, I think had we not seen two lost games to a Mahomes injury, they might have been the number one seed in the AFC. Didn't matter. They still won a Super Bowl. Andy Reid finally gets his ring. I think what's most telling here is I believe they returned 20 or 21 of 22 starters and all their coaches. That Super Bowl run meant Eric Bieniemy did not leave as offensive coordinator for a head coaching job. Steve Spagnuolo returns a year or two as defensive coordinator. All those things bode well for what they in Kansas City are calling a run-it-back tour. And guys, in a year where we've seen no preseason, Training camp shorted by COVID-19. The chemistry that teams like the Chiefs and others have, I think it's going to be very, very important. I don't know that we're going to see a lot of worst-to-first type runs this year because if you were good last year and didn't have a lot of turnover, probably going to be pretty good this year. I know that's not science. That's not you know record-breaking analysis, but it is something to consider. I have the Chiefs guys at 13-3. and three. The schedule is tough. It's not, this is not the Baltimore Ravens where they're just going to run through some easy schedules. It's tough. It's even tough within the division. So 13 and three still think they're going to be one of the best teams in football. My breakout player though, Tano Passignon, they need this guy to step up. We were talking about Breland Speaks, the second round pick who's been cut. Passignon was the second round pick the year before. We've seen flashes. Now it's time. We know what they have in Frank Clark and Chris Jones, but on the other side of the line, that's where guys like Tano Passignon have to step up. I think. I mean, you could have thrown other names in here uh, anywhere along that defensive line, basically, but someone needs to step up outside those two superstars. And I agree with everything you said, Matt. I think when you look at this offseason, it's going to be very difficult for a lot of teams uh, bringing in new pieces. I, that's why I keep questioning uh, Tampa Bay. Are they going to win the NFC? Are they going to struggle with Tom Brady there, learning that new offense? The Chiefs don't have to worry about that, though. They bring back offensive and defensive coordinators. Obviously, Andy Reid, all the starters that they have coming back as well. I have this team going 14-2. and two. It's a tough schedule, though. Uh, I think that they probably lose week three at Baltimore. I think that's just too tough of a game on the road in Baltimore on Monday night. That's going to be a tough scene. But you also have to go to Buffalo. You have to go to Tampa. You have to go to New Orleans. 
Those are tough games. Uh, I do have this team going 14-2, and two, though. I think they can escape with two, only two losses, probably one of them coming to the Saints, uh, maybe the Ravens as well. But the tough schedule, a uh, guy that I'm really looking forward to playing as a Chiefs fan, though, is Juan Thornhill. I thought he had an absolutely amazing year last year. Got hurt. I uh, was really starting to put everything together, even into the playoffs. I think he would have really had his name come out. But being able to play next to Tyron Matthew, and be able to roam and play single high safety and go attack the ball and create turnovers and pass breakups. I really think Juan Thornhill is on his way to being a breakout player for the Kansas City Chiefs. Man, that's that's a great pick from what we saw last year before the injury. Uh, honestly, there was a lot of reasons to be excited about Thornhill. Somebody that probably went a little underrated throughout that process. And in terms of record, I'm with you, Melo. I think this is uh, this is a 14-2 and two football team, right? In one of the years where... You know, continuity is vital. Uh, the Chiefs have really aren't really going to be experiencing any of it. They're, they're going to experience all of it, uh, is what I'm trying to say. They're a team that there's just not a lot of retooling, not transitioning. They just won a Super Bowl. They showed up to camp and said, "Hey, same faces, same group. We got our guy Pat Mahomes paid. We got a lot of guys paid. So that could have created some tension." And they nipped that in the bud right away where they were sitting there going, okay, we're not going to have any of this tension in camp. We're going to be focused on Super Bowl number two in a row. That's so vital for them, and I think it's why they're going to have such a successful regular season. Now, if they come out and, and lose to a Deshaun Watson, those things are going to happen. You're you're going to have performances where you know, you're simply just a little flat. But with the Chiefs, I think they'll experience the least of that out of almost any team in the NFL and I really think 14 wins is in reach. My breakout guy is Mecole Hardman. I, I know Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, even Clyde Edwards-Elair, Sammy Watkins. Those guys are going to eat targets. But I, I think this is going to be an offense where Mecole is the forgotten guy at times. In year two, they're going to be a little bit more comfortable having him on the field and be a featured player. The amount of bracket coverage that Tyreek ha has to absorb the amount of guys underneath that Travis Kelsey could take on, I think this opens up the door for Mecole Hardman to win over the top. And let's not forget, he's always one Tyree Kill, Sammy Watkins kind of injury away from being one of the dudes in this offense. So excited to watch the Chiefs again. Excited to watch my guy Mecole have a really good season. And I think anybody that bets against them is absolutely crazy. Yeah, it is going to be. It feels like Denver, and that's what we're talking about next, is building a team that could maybe compete with Kansas City, but they're not quite there yet. That's where we will go. We saw last year great, great flashes from Drew Locke to end the season. They go out and surround my man with Jerry Judy, KJ Hamler, Tyree Cleveland, and Albert O, who locked through to at Mizzou. So this offense is loaded, not to mention they pick up Melvin Gordon in free agency. That's kind of being forgotten. So Locke is surrounded by a lot of talent. The offensive line is the biggest question, guys. And do we see the return of Von Miller, who was kind of pedestrian last year? Bradley Chubb comes back from injury. That should help. I have this team at 8-8. Eight and eight. I think they are a good football team, much better than last year. The schedule is hard. This is a tough division, and the out-of-division schedule is also going to be tough for the Denver Broncos. I wouldn't be surprised if they won 10. I wouldn't be surprised if they won 6. So I feel like they're somewhere in that 8-8 eight and eight mark. My breakout player is Josie Jewell. The release of Todd Davis means Josie, a fourth-round pick in the 2018 draft out of Iowa, is moving into one of those starting linebacker roles. Guys, I was a huge fan of his when he was a Hawkeye. I'm a huge fan of his now. And we've seen guys like Chris Harris Jr. leave. Todd Davis is gone. Brandon Marshall's gone. It's time for players 
like Josie Jewell to step up. It's time for, you know, Justin Simmons to get that recognition as one of the best safeties in football. It's a little bit look, different look on defense, but you add Jarrell Casey, you add uh, add a, a Kareem Jackson. I think this is going to be a better team this year, even if the record doesn't show that gigantic jump that people might expect. Yeah, this team does make me nervous as a Chiefs fan, and we've been talking about the Broncos a lot. They've become so underrated that I think they're overrated, but we're all kind of right there in the same spot. I have them going 8-8. Eight and eight. I think that playing in this division is going to be tough. Even if the Raiders and the Chargers aren't up there with the Chiefs and Broncos, I think they can probably get some wins, at least one of them. And then playing the NFC South is going to be difficult for the Broncos. We've always loved what John Elway has done in the draft. He's just always struggled to find a quarterback. It looks like he might have lucked his way into getting Drew Locke, who just fell into their laps. I like Locke. I want to see what he can do in year two. I'm looking forward to seeing which quarterback is going to take that second-year quarterback bump and become a star in this league. It could be Kyler Murray. It could be Drew Locke. I think one of the people that is going to be very responsible for that is K.J. Hamler. I know that they have Cortland Sutton. I know they drafted Jerry Judy very high. I think that K.J. Hamler, if he were not hurt through the draft process, probably could have even went higher than the second round. I think this is a really talented receiver who probably going to see wide receiver three targets, but I think he's going to show what he can do, uh, maybe even on special teams, getting him involved with some jet sweeps and stuff like that. We're going to see his athletic ability that we didn't get to see through the draft process, but he was absolutely electrifying in his time at Penn State. Broncos teams make me nervous, but I have them going eight and eight. That's just too tough of a schedule. This is one of the hardest teams to predict in football, right? I mean, when you look at it, we don't know what full season version we're going to see of Drew Locke. There's a lot of question marks, but there's a lot to be excited about with the Broncos. Obviously, the skill talent on offense, it can go you know, toe-to-toe with almost anybody else's in the AFC. That's how much potential the skill talent group has. Cortland Sutton, quietly a top 15 receiver in football already. Jerry Judy will definitely make an impact. Uh, love that you spotlighted K.J. Hamler, Mello, because he is somebody with his speed can be a difference maker as your third wide receiver. My breakout guy is actually a, a tight end, and that's Noah Fant. Quietly as a rookie, had a pretty good year. We just don't see a lot of production out of the tight end position as rookies, and Fant put up 40 catches, 562 yards, and three touchdowns. Now he'll see a much bigger role. He was way better in my eyes than TJ Hawkinson last year, and his receiving ability was why I was such a fan of his in that draft. So, you listen, the defense will be well coached. The offense has a ton of potential. My red flags with this team is the offensive line for a young quarterback that needs the time and pass protection. I have them at seven and nine. I think they're a team on the rise. I don't think seven and nine is a bad year for the Broncos, but I think Drew Locke is going to have his highs and lows this year. And I think the highs will be very, very promising where you feel good about him going into 2021. But I think in this division, the Chiefs and maybe even the Chargers a little bit are just a little bit of ahead of the Broncos right now, where They are trending in the right direction. I think they've drafted very, very well the last two years. And with one more big offseason, the tide will start to turn. So it's a transition year for the Broncos, but it's not a bad year for the Broncos. Exactly. I think it's a team on the rise. Another team that could be on the rise, the Las Vegas Raiders. New stadium looks absolutely freaking amazing. Uh, Can't wait until like December when it's cool enough to go there and visit. Uh, This is a, a solid roster. I think where I get hung up, guys, I still don't know. I like Derek Carr. I think he's a good quarterback somewhere. I mean, obviously outside the top 
12 quarterbacks in the NFL, but he's a good quarterback. How quickly can he gel with these young receivers? I mean, this team is young. Henry Ruggs, Brian Edwards, you're going to be expected to start, and they were just drafted this year. And then on defense, can the secondary get it done? Jonathan Abram comes back from injury. They just cut Demarius Randall the other day. They're going to be relying heavily on Damon Arnett and Meek Robertson. Two players they picked up in this year's draft. So four starters on this defense are going to be ro- or on this team. Excuse me, are going to be rookies. Where we've said all along, it's going to be hard this year. No preseason, shortened training camp. How quickly can you acclimate and make an impact? And I would argue at positions wide receiver and corner where we rarely see huge rookie impacts. So I think the Raiders are headed in the right direction. They just might not be there yet. I have this team at eight and eight. I do think they're going to be competitive. I think John Gruden is a good coach. And what they have in that run game with Josh Jacobs should be good enough to carry them over some wins. My breakout player, the one receiver I haven't talked about yet, Hunter Renfro. This dude does not look like he belongs on a football field, but he catches everything. He did it at Clemson for the 20 years he was there. He did it at the Senior Bowl when we watched him, and he did it last year as a rookie. So Hunter Renfro, my breakout Raider this year. I I really like Hunter Renfro. It's hard to root for him being a Raider, but they do steal a lot of the guys that I like. And the breakout player that I do love for them is Cleveland Furl. I know that he was a little bit of a reach, and they drafted him a little bit high, but I really loved him coming out of Clemson. I think that he's got really good length, strength, hand use. I think that he can do it all. Just struggled a little bit as a rookie to put it together, and that's okay with me. Four and a half sacks last year. I think that if this defensive line is healthy, hopefully you know you have a guy like Max Crosby who's coming back. I think they can be special. I think Maurice Hurst is going to be a very good defensive lineman as well. I think that opens up Cleveland Furl. I think a lot last year, people were more worried about him than they were Max Crosby. He saw a lot of attention. I think it balances out this year, and we're going to see a very good year from Cleveland Furl in his second year. Like you said, Matt, this defense is loaded with young talent as well. That excites me, and it scares me as a Raiders fan because you're looking at five or six guys who are going to have to start and play significant snaps for you that are either first or second year players. And you have the same problem on offense, especially at receiver where you're relying on two rookies and Hunter Renfro, who looks like he's been in the league for forever. It's actually only a second year. You have a second year running back. Uh, you have Darren Waller, who's been in the league for a minute, but still I think is getting used to what he's doing at tight end and how he's playing great year last year. I think he's underrated top five tight end. The schedule makes me nervous. I I think this is a team that is headed in the right direction. Uh, But really, I wonder how much John Gruden is going to have them ready to go. Uh, Is this John Gruden experiment working in Las Vegas? I don't know. I have them going seven and nine. I think this could be a very telling season for Derek Carr, for John Gruden, for Mike Mayock. Is this experiment working with three of them? Or does somebody need to go at the end of the year? It very much is. And I'm glad you put it that way because when you list it out like that, The guy that will go if things don't go right is Derek Carr. John Gruden is on a mega deal. Mike Mayock just got in the door and has, I think, done some really nice things for this franchise. I think when you look at the Raiders, like like you said with the schedule, I don't think the I think the Raiders are better than a five win team, but I have them as a five win team, And, and I think this is one of the most passionate fan bases in the NFL. If you say something bad, you're you're going to hear back from them. And some of our favorite listeners are Raiders fans. So it's not – it's just passionate. When I look at the Raiders, though, I do worry about the defense, notably the secondary and this pass rush fully clicking. Now, Max Crosby can 
you know, really build on what he started last year. But getting both of those guys going at the pass rush to help out this secondary, that's a big concern for me. And I just worry about Derek Carr getting them these big wins, right? Like when you have to play the Chiefs, the Saints, New England, who I'm not sleeping on at all, the Bills defense, right right out of the gate you have some of those games, it's going to be tough. And I think when you look at this team, there's a lot on paper to be really excited about. I just wonder if, I'm not saying the game has gone by John Gruden because I don't believe in that at all. But is John Gruden a top five NFL coach right now? I think if you asked anyone that, I don't think he would make a lot of lists, right? Like, I don't know how you guys feel. Exactly. So I look at this Raiders team. I like a lot of things on paper, right? Like Josh Jacobs could very well be the best running back in the NFL this year. The offensive line has gotten better over the years. My breakout player is Brian Edwards, one of my favorite draft picks in this entire draft. He's probably going to get to start now. And if he was better than Henry Ruggs this year, that wouldn't surprise me. I just think this division is so tough. And at the end of the day, when you pick all the games, somebody's going to be a loser. And I look at the talent in this division, and unfortunately, that team for me is the Raiders. I just, I don't know, guys. Like, the Chiefs are great. The Broncos are going in the right direction. The Chargers have a lot of good things, even after the Derwin James injury. I'm just not a big Derek Carr believer, never will be. If this team can get a franchise quarterback in this offseason, they can go from picking top 10 to in the playoffs in one year. But right now, I don't have them as a playoff team or a winning team. I love it. I like that there's a little difference on this one. All right, last team, the Los Angeles Chargers. They drafted Justin Herbert. They also drafted Kenneth Murray in the first round. Connor mentioned Derwin James being out is huge, but they add players like Chris Harris Jr. They're adding good players uh, to this team. I think the question is, how far can Tyrod Taylor take them? And when do we see Justin Herbert? Uh, All reports were was a little bit shaky in training camp. You would expect that. I'm not panicking that he's not starting. I think in a normal year with training camp, rookie camp, preseason, he probably starts or at least has a better grasp on the job. This year, with all the changes, it makes sense that guys like Herbert and Tua aren't starting. So I don't worry about that, guys. But my uh, my record for this team, I have them finishing last in the division at 6-10. and 10. My breakout player, though, I'm going to go back to this 2020 draft class, K.J. Hill. A seventh-round pick out of Ohio State. We saw him have great catches in big games. We saw him at the Senior Bowl. And and now all reports are out of training camp that he has looked phenomenal. I think K.J. Hill is even going to steal some touches when you have Keenan Allen and Mike Williams as your receiver. Uh, I think in the slot, K.J. is a player to watch. And what better receiver to learn from than Keenan Allen? Like, honestly, route running, blocking, everything that we've seen from him, that's a great tutor for any young receiver. But I do like K.J. Hill. This Chargers team, I do think, is up against a very tough opponent. Obviously, the the AFC West that we're previewing. I have them finishing last. I have them going 6-10. and 10. I'm a huge fan of Tyrod Taylor. I want to see him do good. I wanted to see him do good in Buffalo, in Cleveland, in L.A. There's something to it, though, that he keeps getting moved on after bringing up these young quarterbacks. I think that this first couple five games they have at Cincinnati, I expect Tyrod to play well there. At home against Kansas City, that is going to be a tough defense, and you're going to have to try to keep up with Pat Mahomes. I think we're going to see some turnovers there. I think the Carolina defense you'll see in week three is pretty tough, but then you have at Tampa Bay and at New Orleans. 
I think after five weeks of this season, that's when they make the change and they say, let's get Justin Herbert in here. The next four games, you have the Jets, the Dolphins, the Jaguars, and the Raiders. That screams, let's get Justin Herbert ready for these four games and then get our bye week to where he can finish out the season. I really think that's when we see Herbert come in here. Uh, this is a team on the rise. I, I am terrified of their defense. I think Drew Tranquil at linebacker is a guy who doesn't get talked about enough. I think that now him kind of being a more veteran presence in that linebacker room, he's going to stand out a little more. I, I think that he can come in and build off the year that he had last year, help guys like Kenneth Murray along the way. But this defense... It's terrifying. Even if they don't have Derwin James out there, there's still some really good members in that secondary. Casey Hayward, Chris Harris, maybe one of the best defensive tandems in the league when you're looking at the cornerback position. I just think that there's a lot to overcome. This is a team headed in the right direction. Hopefully the young quarterback works out for him, but I also have them going 6-10. and 10. Losing Derwin James is a big hit, right? When I did this... Um you know, season predictions, it was before he was hurt. Because when we do this, you map it all out in one shot. So it's it's not an on-the-go kind of thing. And I have them at 8-8, eight and eight, and I still believe in that. I think with the Chargers, they have a really good leader in Anthony Lynn. I think Tyrod Taylor is a guy that can hold the fort. But I think this defense is going to be really, really good. They got the pass rush up front. They got athleticism in the middle of the field at the linebacker spots. They got shut down corners across the board. And my breakout guy, they're going to need him to break out, is Nasir Adderley. He might have to play free safety. He might have to handle roles that nobody expected for him this year. But when you look at the Chargers right now, you know, I, I think they're a team that, like you said, Melo, it's it's a little hot out of the gate after Cincinnati. But there is a, a, a pretty soft schedule in the middle of this where they can pull off some wins. I think they're just right in the middle here at 8-8. Eight and eight. You, you got to get Justin Herbert in there at some point. I, I don't like going into a year where you know there's going to be quarterback transition at some point of it, and I think the Chargers and Dolphins are, are so obviously heading into that this year at some point one way or the other. But I think the Chargers will be good enough where they'll be right in the middle of the pack this year at the 8-8 eight eight team. And I think we will see a lot of exciting things from this defense. All right, there it is. Let us know how you guys feel. Tweet us at Stick to Football. Also, great time to leave that Apple podcast review. All right, it's draft on draft time, and our guy Patty Chamberlain is up first. Other than the big-name running backs like Najee Harris, Travis Etienne, and Chuba Hubbard, who are some of the college players you're most surprised haven't opted out this season? I think we're probably to the point where we're done seeing guys opt out, I would think, unless something happens in season. My biggest one is Kylan Hill. Like, that's the the one where I thought he would have left Mississippi State. Like, I don't feel like he's a great fit for Mike Leach's offense. There was a lot of the controversy there with the state flag, which he did a great job being one of the leaders of that movement to get that changed. So Kylan Hill surprised me. You know, other than that, I think because we're waiting to see what the Big Ten and Pac-12 do, it's not surprising that a guy like Justin Fields hasn't opted out because he wants to wait and see what happens. And I tweeted this the other day. My top 10 players, five have opted out, five are playing. It's an even split right there. So I don't know that, you know, what these opt-out guys the ones that we expected to opt out basically have. Yeah, and that's kind of my thinking too. Even like going up and down my big board, the only guys that really haven't opted out are those Big Ten kind of Pac-12 players. Like you mentioned, uh, there's no reason for Justin Fields to just yet. I think that he can kind of wait and figure out what's going on with the Big Ten. But other than that, I, I think that we've seen everybody. A uh, little bit maybe surprised that Sage Surratt 
breaking in a new quarterback at Wake Forest, uh, it, it would make sense for him to opt out. But really, I, I think that we've seen everybody opt out who I kind of thought would. I think he's out, right? Is he so out? Right? It's, out. It's yeah. so hard to even yeah, keep he's track out. of who is, so, who's in, who's it's out. It's so hard right now. It's so hard to keep track because... Like, I was going through my list the other day, and then I just started, like, rapidly Googling, because I thought I was up to date. I missed, like, a couple guys from Miami, Ohio opted out. Yep. Like, there's just a lot of small, now even, like, some uh, like lesser-known players, so it's a lot to keep up with. But to answer Pat's question, yeah, you know, like Matt said, we're kind of at this point where... You know, the running backs thing does surprise me. Like, I, I think, and I know it was late in the year, like, I think Kenneth Gainwell made the right choice in all of this. And I'm I'm a little surprised. There's, like, a part of me, it's going to feel a little weird, like, seeing Najee Harris and Travis Etienne and Chuba Hubbard take on the wear and tear they're going to take on this year when they're such established players. But, you know, that's their choice, and it's up to them. But... I am a little surprised that all three will be playing. Yep. Same. I mean, those are the ones where I know this, you know, Pat said other than them, those are the ones where it's like, I can't There's, believe, can't has, believe they're playing. Has Jacoby Stevens opted out yet? No. That's one that surprises me Carrie because it did. everyone yeah. else at LSU pretty much has. Yeah, that's a good one. That is a little surprising. And people like and him. And he's the most established. Yeah, he's a big, <laughs> like, hard-hitting safety. Defense. Yeah. yeah, there you go. We found one. There's there's <laughs> one for you. All I right, just Josh, had to double-check and make sure that he was still in. Yeah, he is for now. Uh, Josh Collier wants to know, is there anything Trey Lance could do in his quote-unquote showcase game to move the needle, whether positive or negative, or his stock pretty much set? Josh, I don't feel like anyone's stock is set right now, to be honest. Whether we're seeing guys play or not, I, I do think this is a very fluid situation. I don't think there's anything he could do against Central Arkansas to either kill or improve his stock. I mean, I remember Jared Goff throwing five picks in a game and people being like, oh my God, he's terrible. He's still in first overall. Josh Allen had some terrible outings in his final year at Wyoming. He still went top 10. So I don't know that one game is ever going to swing a guy. Now, I think it will be cool if they only play one game if he continues his streak of not throwing an interception. Right now, he has 42 touchdowns in college with no interceptions. So I, I think that that's what's so incredible. Some of those are rushing. But if he doesn't turn the ball over, we're going to be like, okay, this this is freakishly crazy good. And that's why I look at it. And I think anything he does positively, honestly, if he throws like six touchdowns and 400 yards, they don't throw the ball very much at North Dakota State. Even if he comes out and does that, we say, yeah, this is a guy who's a top three quarterback in the draft. You're supposed to do that against, I believe they play Central Arkansas. Okay, fine. But I think if he does come out and he throws three interceptions, highly unlikely, I think then we start to question, oh man, is this showcase game? Was it a good idea? Is he a top three quarterback? I don't expect that to happen. But like Matt said, I, that would end his streak of throwing not throwing interceptions. So I think if he comes out and he throws like two or three, that's going to be tough to overlook. The The overall point is everything he does in this one game is going to over magnify his stock, good or bad. It's almost it's a little frustrating to me because it's like all you guys have played sports like there's days where you woke up and like, I don't know, like you're shitting your brains out and you got to go play like you feel like crap or like there's days where you feel amazing like it's one regular season game for yep. Trey Lance, and it feels like everything. Now, the good scouts won't do this. I know on this show we won't do this. We won't drop everything into this one bucket that is this game. But I do have a fear 
that you know Twitter's a lot of people w- Twitter will exactly Twitter is very dangerous for the draft sometimes and it's great for the draft because I think it's what builds the hype around it but it, it can be it can be dangerous and this is probably a really good example of that I think anytime a prospect plays a big game Twitter's insufferable it's a tough place to be and it's tough because like, it's our job to be there like you want to disseminate information you want to share your opinions and your thoughts but Twitter, when a good prospect is playing, fucking sucks because you have the people who are fanboying and you have the people who are hating. And so, like, Justin Fields is going to overthrow somebody the next time he plays, and Michigan fans and Clemson fans and North Dakota State fans are going to be like, see, he's terrible. But Ohio State fans will be like, hey, it's one throw. You know, and then it's be like, remember when your guy did this? It's like Twitter, when a good prospect is playing, is my least favorite place to be. Like, I turn my notifications and timeline off. Like, I just tweet. I don't I don't look at what anybody's saying. I just send my little thoughts out into the atmosphere because it, it is terrible. Because And with Trey Lance, it's going to be worse because everybody's going to want to put a season's worth of evaluation on 25 throws. And you cannot and should not do that, but someone is. Yeah, I'm just glad that, kind of glad, we won't have to deal with the Justin Fields hate of, oh man, you guys are so low on him. I'm not low on him. I think he can be a franchise quarterback. He's just low on my board, lower than you guys think he should be. But having him go off in a game in which he would have, he would have went for like 400 yards and four touchdowns almost every week, even in the Big Ten. People would have been like, look at this, this is QB2. Or even a lot of people have him as QB1. Not looking forward to hearing that, but I do wish we got to see Justin Fields play. All right, that is our show for today. We'll be back Friday morning with a little blind review for the Thursday night game as well as those breakdowns of the NFC West. Y'all have a great week, and we will talk to you soon.